Have you ever heard or thought about how many different ways we use the term mercy? You know, we say, mercy me, or have mercy. When I was a kid, we used to play a game called mercy. You know, we'd take each other's hands and bend them back until somebody said, mercy. Well, mercy is really defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. If you've ever wronged, if you've ever been wronged and you have forgiven someone, you have shown mercy. In our relationships with other people, mercy is a two-way street. We show mercy and we receive mercy. But in our relationship with God, mercy is a one-way street. All we can do is receive mercy. We cannot show Him mercy. God has no need of mercy. But God's mercy is what we need. And it is found throughout the Scriptures. The word mercy, or its plural mercies, is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. 26 times in Psalm 136, we are told that God's mercy endures forever. Now, how do we receive the mercy of God? Is mercy something we deserve? Is is it automatically given despite our actions? In Luke 7, we see the story of a woman who received the mercy of God. We saw a little bit of it on the video. What happened in that room is a lesson on mercy, love, and faith. And it is our next study on the persons Jesus encountered. I believe in the people Jesus met. We can find ourselves. Person of interest, Luke 7. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. I'll be looking at that passage and looking through it as we allow God's Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Try to put yourself in the place here, in this setting, and see where you fit and how God can meet your need. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we love you and we praise you. We have lifted up your holy name today in praise and prayer and worship. Even today, Lord, you sit on a throne. You are worshipped by the angels and by the saints who have gone on to be with you. What a mighty, marvelous, merciful God we serve. And today, Father, we stand in need of you. Whether we will admit it, we all stand in need of your mercy. And so, Lord, today help us learn how we can love you more and honor you more with our lives. Help us learn how our faith can grow and, Lord, what we need to do in your kingdom. Speak to our hearts, Lord, as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, in Luke chapter 7, we see the story of a woman who comes into a room and pours out her love for Jesus. While there are several similar stories in the the Gospels, this particular story is unique. The one in Luke 7 is different than the anointing of Jesus by Mary in Lazarus' home in Bethany. So this is different. This was the home of a Pharisee named Simon who had heard Jesus speak and invited him, Jesus, to dine with him. Look at verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus to eat with him, and he, Jesus, went to the Pharisee's house 
and sat down to eat. The Pharisees were educated men, men who had studied the Old Testament law and the Mishnah, the writings of the rabbis. Like anything else, there were good Pharisees and bad Pharisees. There were good men who genuinely tried to help people understand and keep the law of God. And there were some not-so-good men who were only interested in the power associated with the title Pharisee. Pharisees were in the Jewish Sanhedrin, so the high court of Israel, which made them even more powerful individuals. Simon was a Pharisee. Now, as such, most Pharisees, being on the high court, uh, trying to keep wearing certain clothing, you know, uh, that made them stand out, even wearing scriptures on their, in little boxes on their head or their, their wrists. These people that stood out as professors of the law, as such, they often had a condescending attitude toward ordinary people. An attitude that showed up at this dinner in Luke chapter 7. Let's go on. Verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. So right off the bat, Luke identified this woman as a sinful woman of the city. Now, though her sin is not specified, it's pretty clear that she was a prostitute. Her reputation was well known to Simon and the people around him at the dinner. In those days, meals like this would have been served around a low table where men reclined on pillows. They sat low. The men reclined, not women. Men reclined around the ta- on pillows around the table, a low table, with their feet be- beside them or behind them. And also in that day, a dinner to honor a special person. Remember, Jesus was invited as a, a rabbi, a teacher, a special person. A dinner like that was open to just about everyone in the city, dignitaries as well as common ordinary people. So it was not surprising when this woman came to Simon's home, but it surprised them all that this woman touched Jesus without an objection from Jesus. That's what shook them up. The woman came into the room, walked up behind Jesus, took her flask of perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet. According to Dr. Daryl Bach, the woman's actions reflect great cost, care, and emotion. The perfume she uses is both precious and expensive. Such anointing was practiced as civic feast and for the purifying of priests or the tabernacle, not to mention for preserving corpses. If this perfume is nard, it would have cost 300 denarii, or about a year's salary per pound. Wow, that is an expensive gift to pour on someone's feet. Yet the woman gave that and more. Taking down her hair 
which was also culturally offensive, she let her tears of joy and gratitude flow down to wash Jesus' feet, and then she dried them with her hair. How would you describe this attitude and motivation behind this woman's sacrifice? What would you say was in her heart as she did this? I would say it was true love. If the woman had just handed Jesus a flask of perfume, I might have said that she did it out of respect or gratitude. But to humiliate herself in a Pharisee's home and before the people who knew her reputation, and then pour out a very expensive treasure without expecting anything in return, that's more than respect, folks. That's love. It's the kind of In the sacrifice of this woman, I see the kind of love Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. Would you read it with me? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So love motivates us to give and give and give because we care more for another than for ourselves. What would a husband do for his wife if he loves her with true love? I'll tell you what he would do. He would risk his life for her. What would a mother do? Motivated by love for her baby. What would she do to protect that baby? She would do anything. She would risk her life for the baby. So what does that say about our Heavenly Father's love for us? How much does He love us? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. On the cross, Jesus bleeding, dying, suffering, agony in a body that had been bruised and beaten, ripped to shreds. There He is, hanging there on the cross, dying as a sacrifice for our sins. And he cries out for mercy. Father, why have you forsaken me? And he heard no response. No mercy was granted to Jesus. So that Jesus could grant mercy to us. That's why Jesus died. He suffered so horribly for us. So that we might receive mercy from Him. The Holy Lord Jesus, the only one with the right to condemn the world, came to save, came to show mercy and save those who were condemned. That's the reason Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to redeem the world. The only one who could condemn the world came to redeem the world because the whole world was already condemned. By sin. Sin had brought condemnation to everyone, to you, to I, to everyone in Simon's house. From the sinful woman to the self-righteous Pharisees. And yet look at Simon's attitude toward the sacrifice this woman made to Jesus. In verse 39. 
Now when the Pharisees, the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon, a Pharisee, had the attitude of prideful separation. He didn't believe a prophet would have anything to do with a sinful person. He believed associating with the woman made him impure. So he would have nothing to do with sinners. Friends, the Bible makes it very clear, doesn't it, in Romans 3.23? For all have sinned. Is that you? Yeah. Is that me? Yeah. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What made Simon impure was not the woman in his house that had come to pour out her love to Jesus. What made him impure was his own sinful nature, his own prideful arrogance. So what, have we, what do we see in this house displayed in the presence of Jesus? Well, in Simon's house we see three things. One, we see the expression of love. That's from the woman. Two, we see the attitude of condemnation. That's from Simon and the Pharisees there. Three, we see the act of mercy. And who gave mercy? Who gave mercy? Jesus. Despite Simon's evil thoughts, Jesus would help this woman. Although she had a bad reputation, her expression of love for Jesus revealed her willingness to abandon a sinful past and start over. Her tears are what lead me to that conclusion. And her willingness to pour out her costly perfume to anoint the feet of Jesus. She was willing to give Jesus everything. Even that selfless act, though, brought condemnation from Simon and the others. They criticized Jesus and the woman. The woman for her sin and Jesus for being a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad Jesus is a friend of sinners? When, we, when Jesus read Simon's mind, Simon said, how can it, this man could not be a prophet? No, he was more than a prophet. And he read Simon's mind. And when he read Simon's mind, he, he took an opportunity to teach an important lesson on faith, love, and mercy. Look at verse 40 here. And Jesus answered and said to him, now Simon didn't say anything out loud, it was in his mind. And then Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, teacher, say it. Jesus said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. Now let's think about this for a minute. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 500, 50. One owed 500, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Now... Both men in this story Jesus told, both men owed a debt. One man owed 500 
denarii. I, the other, 50. Okay? A denarius was about a day's wage. Okay? So one owed 500 days wages, about a year and a half. Okay? And the other owed about 50 days, or about two months worth of wages. So there's a big difference here. I, I don't know what, if we tried to put it in today's terms. I mean, you know, one owed, you know, five, you know, thousand dollars, you know. The other owed, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars. Simon was an intelligent man. He could reason from the story both men owed money. Both were forgiven of the debt. And the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, obviously, would love more. What Jesus hoped Simon would see was his own need for mercy. And I'm not certain he saw that. Simon not only lacked love, but he lacked humility. For in his haste to shun the woman, he displayed an unawareness of his own sinful nature. And folks, to receive God's mercy... We have to recognize that we need God's mercy. Does that make sense? Amen? We have to recognize our need for God's mercy. Look at verses 44 through 47. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman, Simon? I, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves, the same loves little. You see, Jesus made it plain for Simon. He made it plain for everybody to see. They all heard the story. They all saw the woman and her act of love. He point, Jesus pointed out the difference between the attitudes he saw in that room. Think about it for a minute. In the expressions of love here for Jesus. First we see Simon. Simon offered no water for Jesus' feet. Gave Jesus no towel to dry his feet. Gave Jesus no kiss or embrace of friendship. Offered no special honor to Jesus. But what of the woman? The woman washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Dried Jesus' feet with her hair. Kissed the feet of Jesus in humility and anointed Jesus with expensive perfume in honor of Him. Two separate attitudes. From those, from your own observation now, and your own ability to reason this out. The woman, you've got Simon the Pharisee, and the sinful woman. You see what Simon did? You see what the woman did. Who do you think loved Jesus most? The woman. The woman. That's easy, isn't it? That's easy to figure out. How did Simon treat the woman? He silently condemned her. How did Simon treat Jesus? He silently criticized him. 
In his mind, he said, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was who was touching him. She's a dirty, filthy sinner. What did Simon do for Jesus? He did not even offer Jesus the commonest of courtesies. It was courtesy for someone in that day. Remember, they didn't have showers like we have today. You, you walked the dusty roads all day. You walked into someone's home. They had a bowl of water and by the door. They either had a servant help, they helped, or they had the person help themselves. But they could wash their feet, and there was a towel there for them to dry their feet. That was a common courtesy. And Simon didn't even offer that to Jesus. But what did the woman do for Jesus? She poured out her love for him. Friends, listen. It doesn't matter if we shout it out in public or... If, we keep it silently to ourselves if we think, just think it. God knows what is in our minds and hearts. And furthermore, if we truly love Jesus, I don't think we can keep it hidden. That love for Jesus shows up in the things we say and do. Because you see, faith without works is dead. Simon and the woman are contrasting examples of this truth. Yeah. See, unlike the debtors in the story, remember, let's go back to the debtors. One owed 500, the other, you know, a whole lot more than that. Fifth, you know, so much more. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50 denarii. Simon didn't think he had, any, had much need for forgiveness. See, when Simon looked at that story Jesus told and he put himself in the story, he saw the guy that owed 500, you know, or, the, or 50. He saw the guy that owed 50. He didn't see himself as the guy who owed 500. So who did he see? What about the woman? Well, he saw himself as owing 50 and the woman owing 500. You see, that's how he looked at life and looked at himself and looked at this woman. How did the woman see herself? She saw herself. She didn't see Simon at all. She saw herself as one who needed a lot of mercy. And she poured out her love to the one she knew could help her. Verse 48 through 50. Then Jesus said to the woman, you know, remember, let me just back up and say something. Jesus was talking to Simon when he said, Hey, Simon, you see this woman over here? Yeah, he had been seeing her. He had been watching her closely. He had been looking down his nose at her. You see this woman over here? She gave me a whole lot more than you did because you know, she needed more mercy and she loved me more. But then now he looks at the woman. And he said to her, Woman, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who can even forgive sins? You know, only God can do that. And then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Shalom. Your faith has saved you. Imagine the scene with me, folks. Just kind of put yourself here in this place, in this room. Simon and his Pharisee friends sitting around with scowls on their faces looking for something to condemn. Uh, they got nothing. You understand? They got nothing. But this woman, she got it all. She gave Jesus all that she had. Her gift of love filled the room with a beautiful fragrance. 
And she found mercy, forgiveness, and salvation at the feet of the one who can grant eternal life. There's a, this is a lesson about faith. Where faith leads folks, or at least true faith. You see, when we have true faith in Jesus Christ, it leads us to a love for Him that must be expressed. We just, we just can't keep it to ourselves when we really love Jesus. As we express our love to Jesus, we find His mercy. There is no mercy. Listen, there is no mercy without love for Jesus. And there's no love for Jesus without faith in Jesus. And that's the faith principle we find here today. Read it with me. The faith principle. Ready? Let's go. Faith that leads to an expression of selfless love is rewarded with the mercy of a saving God. It was this woman's faith in Jesus that brought her into that room of ridicule and led her to pour out her life to Jesus. It is your faith in Jesus that leads you to risk everything to follow Him. It is true faith in Jesus that that has caused these people around the world, believers, to risk their lives and even find an end to their lives for their faith. You see, it's true faith in Jesus that leads to you risking everything to follow Him. It is your faith in Jesus that leads you to love Him and do everything in your power to express your love to Him and want to please Him. Faith is more than just believing. The demons in hell and around Satan, they believe. But faith, true faith is a pursuit of Jesus. It is a desire to lift Jesus up above everything else, not only in our own lives, but it's a desire that Jesus be exalted in the world around us. Faith leads to love for Jesus, and love for Jesus brings us into a place at His feet where we find compassion and forgiveness and mercy every day. Jeremiah said, read it with me if you will, It is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Jesus offered this woman forgiveness not because of her love gift, but because of her faith. You see, love don't, does not save us. Faith is what leads to salvation. For by grace you are saved through faith. We cannot skip faith. True faith is what led this woman to, to love Jesus. And she must have had a Strong faith because it led her to pour out her love to Jesus in the middle of a room of ridicule. It starts with true faith. Because faith without action is not real faith. James said it's dead. Faith leads to love action. The more we trust Jesus, the more we love Jesus... And if we really love Jesus, we're going to do something about it. Psalm, the psalmist said in Psalm 116, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplications. 
Because he's inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The stronger our faith, the stronger our love for Jesus. You know, Jesus said faith, you know, like a little grain of mustard seed, but then it grows into a big tree and expands its branches out and birds light in it. Well, faith may start as a grain of mustard seed, but it grows into a tree of love and the branches of love reach out. Jesus said we must love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we love Him that much, that love will be seen and nothing will be too much. To give him. This woman in that room, her gift was so beautiful, so powerful, because what she gave Jesus was all of her. That's why she received his mercy. And we too need his mercy. As Jeremiah said, his mercies are new every morning. The reason they're new every morning is because we need them every morning, right? We need them. We need them to be new every morning because of the mess we made the day before. And that's what we learn from this person of interest, this woman, that faith, love, and mercy are the most important things we could ever have in this life. Faith, hope, and mercy. One day you're not going to need that when you get into the presence of Jesus. But you need it now. So do I. This woman, a sinner, found faith in Jesus Christ and expressed her faith through a series of, through a selfless act of love. In the middle of a critical room, she poured out her love. Does that sound familiar? I mean, think about it. Uh, I believe it's kind of a picture of today. I think we could all put ourselves there if we're loving Jesus and trying to please Jesus and serve Jesus. Uh, uh, as Christians, we're, we're trying to live out our lives in a faith in a, uh, and live out our faith in a world that is getting more and more anti-Christ, aren't we? It wants no part of the Christ message. Most people today believe they're right with God even though they don't believe that salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. That's right. You ask people, do a survey, look at polls, look at surveys. Most people don't believe that faith is only found in Jesus Christ, but they think they're, right, they're okay with God. Uh, You've got to be more than okay with God to get to heaven. Do you, do you know that? You have to be forgiven you have to have found his mercy. You have to love him and have faith. Simon, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe what Jesus was doing there. They called Jesus a false prophet and the woman a sinner, but they didn't see anything wrong with their spiritual condition, just like the world around us. And that, you, you know people like that. They're in your family. They're in your family. They're among your friends, people where you work, maybe go to school. You know people like that. They don't care. They think everything's okay. They are not concerned, like Simon and the Pharisees. And if you try to do something to show them that you love Jesus, you're like a nut. Jesus said, we must love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That woman did. And that's why in that room only one person found God's mercy. One person out of a room full. The most unlikely person of all. And yet she was the only one who heard Jesus say, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. One found peace. Because faith, 
Her faith led to an expression of love that brought God's mercy and salvation. It was true then and it's true now. If you need real mercy, your faith must be expressed in an act of love for Jesus. And the more we love Jesus, (laughs) the greater that expression of love will be for Jesus and the more powerful His mercy will be to us. It takes real faith to have real mercy. Now, are we, I read a little story, it says, are are we really who we say we are? Interesting story. It was a typical night on the streets of Lansing. As the bars began to open and the nightlife found its pulse again, the little storefront building which held the Lansing Street Ministry, the Harvest House, House was just beginning its evening ministry. The volunteers were getting ready to walk the streets as they had done many times, befriending prostitutes and drug dealers and people who found themselves without a home. That night, however, a new face was walking the streets and a couple of volunteers went to meet this person. However, once she found out that these people were not paying customers but street ministers, she shrugged them off and said that she didn't need any help. She was just downtown for the night to make some quick money. She had no intentions of staying any longer than she needed to. So the volunteers went on about their way, checking in with everyone they knew as they walked the streets. And about 1 a.m., when the small storefront office was ready to be locked up for the night, the young lady that seemed to have it all together just a few hours before was now stumbling down Michigan Avenue, just blocks from the Capitol, with a posse of so-called managers coming upon her to pick her up and make her theirs. My dad was there, and with a couple of volunteers, they ran out and positioned themselves between these men and that one very scared and confused and hurt young lady. And amidst those men's taunts and insults and threats and profanities, my dad guided this young lady's head so that he stared straight into her bloodshot, drug-induced, tear-filled eyes. And she told this woman that they were the same people that wanted to help her earlier. And she looked up and all her confusion, all her pain and despair and humiliation. And she had one question. Are you really who you say you are? Choking back his own emotions, my dad replied, we are and we can help. Real story, typical of today, folks. Today, around the world, Christians are facing persecution because they are really who they say they are. And their love shows. The people on this street looking into the eyes of that, that woman, just like the woman in Simon's house. They said, we are who we are. And they proved it by what they did. Folks, our love for Jesus, your love for Jesus, it's either real or it's not real. It's either going to help or it's going to hurt. It's either going to point people to Jesus or it will not. While Simon showed no mercy to the woman, Jesus did. And guess what? We've all been in her shoes, haven't we? And if you're a Christian, you've been there. You were right there with her. You might have been where Simon was at one time, but when you got down at his feet, 
and you put yourself where she was, that's when you receive mercy. And when you receive the mercy of Jesus, you need to give the mercy of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Now, while we're bowing our heads, if you call yourself a Christian, I want to ask you something. Are you really who you say you are? What does your love for Jesus? Now, do you think about this? What does your love for Jesus look like? Is it just a Sunday morning love for a couple hours? What does your love for Jesus look like? What do the people in your room see of your love for Jesus? Do they see a trickle of love or a flow of love? Is it a stingy love for Jesus or is it poured out on Jesus? How does your faith compare to the woman in this story? How much of yourself does Jesus really have? This woman loved Jesus in the middle of a bunch of wicked people. You might be in the middle of a room or a family or a place of wicked people. How much of Jesus, how much of your love for Jesus do they really see? That woman was not ashamed to show it. What about you? How much mercy do you need from Jesus? Are you like the man that just needed a little bit? owed a little bit or you like do you see yourself like the one who owes a lot and needs a lot of mercy Jesus wants to help you have you heard the words your faith has saved you has Jesus told you that go in peace you have peace with God have you experienced the saving peace of Jesus if not pray with me mean it with all your heart say dear Jesus I believe in you I believe you died on the cross and shed your blood and suffered horribly for me. On the cross, there was no mercy for you so that you could give it to me. And right now, Jesus, I cry out, I need your mercy. Oh, Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. They are many. I owe a lot. Please forgive me for all my sins. Come into my heart and wash my heart clean. Wash my mind clean. Come in, Jesus. Pour in your mercy. Pour in your love. Help me love you more. I promise from this day forward, I'll follow you, Jesus. I accept you as my only Savior. And I give you all of me today. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. If you prayed that prayer, there's no greater prayer, but faith without works is dead. Now you go and you show your love for Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. What's the worst somebody's going to do? Laugh at you? You let someone know. You let people know that you love Jesus. Lord, thank you for this word. Your word is power. It is meat for us spiritually. God, I pray, help us. 
Help our faith grow stronger. Help our love for you grow stronger. And help us pour out that love in acts that everybody can see. I pray, God, when the people of this, that are in this building today and are watching and listening, I pray when we walk out into our world that there will be no, no question about our real faith. Are you really who you say you are? God, I pray that there'd be no question about it, that we would look like, act like, talk like, think like Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's sing, Brother Steve. I'll be at the front to pray for you if you need some prayer. Let's sing. Stand with us as we sing. Have thine own way, Lord.